comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. everybody and welcome back to the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm in a unfortunately under the weather Jordan from Jersey and I'm joined this week by Craig and Jim. How are you guys doing? Hey hey. And to all my friends who are listening to this weeks later because you're deep in the depth of a Fallout 4 uh, playthrough, uh, my hats are off to you because that's what's, that's what's happening right now man. All my friends are all gone to the wasteland. Bethesda bugs. Bethesda bugs never change as they say. But also tonight, uh, as a very special episode 150 treat, because this is episode 150, and as an apology for the episode being a day late, sorry about that, but as you can hear, I- I'm sick, so my, my voice is going to be awful, and I apologize for that. But we are not just joined by Jim and Craig tonight, we are joined, we are rejoined by the one, the only, Russ L. Russell Latham. How are you doing, sir? Good. Uh, we are very happy to have you back. You haven't been on since uh, right after Tyrese died, if, if we recall correctly. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, been in mourning I, this whole time. <laughs> yeah. I uh I've I've been away for a while and uh it's it's taken me a while to get caught up, but I but I finally did. Russ is like our Morgan. Like he was on a while ago, but now he's back. <laughs> exactly. Now are are you crazy Russ right now or are you Zen Russ? Do we need to be worried I, I about think, either one? No, I think I'm Zen Russ. I think maybe Three weeks ago, I might have been crazy, Russ, but I think uh, I think I'm Zen. So you ran into a cheesemaker and got rehabilitated along the way. Is that <laughs> yeah, what yeah, something okay. like that. <laughs> well, well, now that you are caught up on the last uh, season or so of The Walking Dead, uh, why don't you take a few minutes and just tell us what your thoughts have been about everything since uh, Tyrese died up till I guess the beginning of this week's episode. I picked the wrong week to stop watching. Uh, you know, after the Tyrese episode, I mean that's not. That's not really why I stopped, although I kind of got a little fatigued with it. Um, I, the, the whole the whole Tyrese episode didn't really sit well with me. I mean, we talked about it at the time, but I, I I never was happy with what they did with that character. And then when they killed him off the way they did, I was just really kind of dissatisfied. And I think the show was kind of aimless. I, I think it needed some focus. Uh, and so when I finally got caught back up, uh, you know, I started with the episode Them, which was episode uh, a 10 of season five. And for an episode where not a whole lot happened, that episode just really, really resonated with me. I don't know what it was. It was just all the silence and the moodiness. And you could just kind of tell what the characters were kind of going through, even without them saying much. So 
I was really that that episode just really really resonated with me, and I think from that point on, the show just took off like a shot. Uh, I think this, I think the end of season five and so far the beginning of season six have been the best the show has ever been. I've I've really really been impressed with it. Maybe maybe just because I I kind of took a break for a while. Uh, I I don't know, or maybe you know maybe it is just that good. But I, I've really been happy. I think the writing's been solid. I think the directing's been solid. I, I like the direction that these characters are going in. They finally all seem like they've, you know, they've grown enough and settled enough that uh, I, I like their actions and motivations. I mean, for them getting to Alexandria for me was just like a, a the culmination of of everything that they had been through, and it was just really interesting to see how, especially like Daryl, like how Daryl responded in Alexandria. And and how Carol responded, I think, were the two, uh, you know, standouts. Because as much of a loner as Daryl is, it was really kind of cool to see him, you know, go against Rick and say, you know, I, I want to be here. Like, this is, we deserve to be here. This is, we can make this a good place. And he wasn't really on board with all the, kind of the scheming and the backhandedness and everything else that was going on. Uh, but what was what was truly kind of a masterpiece for me was just seeing Rick just devolve. Like he, he knew that these people were living in a fantasy world and that reality was going to come crashing down on them. And for him to kind of act the way he did, I just, I, I, I'm glad to see this Rick. Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen shades of this Rick before, but not like we have at the end of, of, season five and so far in season six. I mean, this is full on Rick at his best is, is, is what I think. I don't actually know the answer to this question, but have you watched any of fear the walking dead? No, uh, that I, I have not caught up on that yet. I, I was, I was so focused on wanting to get caught up on the walking dead, uh, and hopefully get back on the show that I haven't kind of gotten around to fear the walking dead. So that's kind of next on my list. They're all on my DVR. So I just need to I just need to focus uh, and get now. Are up. you caught up on Fear the Walking Dead, Flight Four, Three, Eight, whatever? <laughs> no, no, I haven't, seen, you know, I haven't well, seen that. That Those one's are the really easy to catch right? up on. There's about uh, seventy-five seven seconds all, of show so say, far. All, all seven minutes of it. <laughs> yeah. But there's not even that much. There's like seventy-five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that being said, I, I will agree with I forget who said it on our on our Facebook group, but this week's fifteen seconds were the best so far. Um, it's not really saying much, but a few things actually happened, kind of. Um, <laughs> we're not here to talk about that, though. We're here to talk about uh, Season 6, Episode 5, which was entitled Now. Um, just general thoughts, gentlemen. What did you think of this week's episode? The title should have been uh, Rick Grimes Says, I Told You So. Because it just seemed like you know everything Rick said came to pass, and the Alexandrians are just now coming to grips with that. And it just seemed like that seemed to be like a recurring theme to me. As this episode went on, yeah, I mean Scott Gimple does this every year. He gives us his fan service action episodes at the beginning, and then we revert to the standard fare of you know one group looking for another group or one person looking for another person. I mean, let's let's go back. Last year, the season opener was an amazing one in Terminus, just the action, and they just stopped it right there, and we just came to a screeching halt and ended up at the church. Uh, you, you know, why can't this show keep up? a season at this pace. Like it's been done before, like on 24 where 24 hours are a whole season. Well, this first three episodes are really just one whole 
time frame? Why couldn't they spread this out just a little bit more? But nope, it's like, okay, we're going to give the fans their action for the first three episodes. Now it's back to business as usual, Gimple style. And uh, I'll, I'll save some more thoughts for the end, but that, that's that's what I took away from this one. Yeah, I mean, after last week's, like, last week was kind of a really cool interlude. You know, I mean, it was fine. You know, the whole Glenn, I mean, putting the whole Glenn thing aside for, uh, for the moment. Uh, you know, just, I mean, to the, I mean, as we talked about last week, you know, very well acted, well written, great episode, kind of a breather after the first, the breakneck pace of the first three, you know, and I thought them coming back to the present day storyline, we'd be back at that kind of breakneck pace, but it didn't really feel that way. At least to me, this episode didn't feel like, you know, as compelling as the first, uh, first few episodes of the season. And I'm not sure why. I enjoy, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I thought it was a nice, uh, breather the only thing for me is though it just seems like they're spread they're pushing the glenn thing out to push the glenn thing out um you know i know Uh, jim you said we kind of get to it later but you know the fact that we we've gone two episodes now and we still don't quite know what's up with glenn it's just like and they even toy with it with this episode like with the writing it on the wall and then taking it off the wall and stuff it's like they're even toying with it there you know and I think it's it's almost a little too on the nose for me, uh, you know. If if that that's the only criticism I have, but I I, I think it was just an interesting character study, um, you know, with 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 some of these characters. I think the only thing that was weird is like Carl said he was going to go after Enid, and then the the kid goes up to tell to tell Rick, and then unless I fell asleep and didn't realize it in the middle of the day. Like, they never resolved that. Like, Rick didn't... I, I I kept expecting that to get picked up where Rick would go and talk to Carl or... You know, it was almost just like, that never happened. <laughs> right. well, it, it, you didn't miss anything. Nothing happened. No, yeah, no, it, it was no, just kind of weird. Like, and I, and yeah. I guess, you know, maybe in, in a way, I think maybe if they would have done that, then we would have griped. It's like, oh, here we go again. Rick's going after Carl and telling him, don't do this or don't do that. But it just it just seemed weird. They made such a big point of 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 that and then and then nothing ever happened like rick is so you know paranoid about keeping his family safe and then here you know somebody says hey i think he's gonna hop the wall and you know do something stupid and rick is like okay yeah i probably should go do something he he's so concerned about it he leaves a complete amateur on the wall to kind of watch things and then never goes and talks to carl yeah, I, I didn't love this week's episode. I also didn't hate it, but you know, after I said, uh, you know, last week that man, it's gonna suck when this when this awesome freight train of back to back great episodes ends. It's kind of ended at this point. It was it was a it was an okay episode, but I think the thing for me, I think it was Craig or Jim said earlier. You know, you weren't sure what it was about this episode that just felt off. For me, it was a lack of cohesion. Like at the at the bare minimum, I guess I could say there was a a slight thematic. Um, connection between the different stories of the Alexandrians coming to grips with the world that they're in now, but barely, that barely tied the elements of the episode together, and otherwise it was, you know, two or three scenes with, like, ten different characters, some of with, some of which, like the, the Rick and Carl stuff, not getting resolved or even, like, in-episode resolved. Like, you can have a, a non-resolution resolution for the episode where you know things are going to keep going, but it ends it for this episode. This they didn't even have that for half of them, so it, it was fine, but, you know, th- this was not an episode to write home about, for sure. Right. It seemed like more like one of those connective tissue episodes than an actual, you know, event episode. You know what I mean? But but yeah. they can do those well as long as they have all the connective tissue right. and be connected and to each other. Right. 
and, and it, it just wasn't working. Now, that said, I thought there was a lot of really good scenes and moments, particularly character moments in this episode. Yeah, I They agree. just didn't all gel with each other. Right. That yeah, was I mean, all. The, the Deanna stuff I thought was really well done. I mean, this is a character that takes responsibility for Alexandria, you know, in the beginning and, you know, trying to build it up and everything like that. And for her to basically not even speak through this episode or speak very little and just have this haunted look on her face throughout the whole thing and realize that she's responsible. You know, it's funny. It's funny. Aaron says, hey, look, this is my fault. The reason that they all got here was because of me. And, and you know, even Rick was like, well, it's it's not your fault. I mean, you know. I think Deanna realizes that it truly is her fault by not preparing them and not living in a world with these realities. It's kind of her fault. And for Rick and her to kind of have that conversation, Rick is like, you, you know, based on the end of last season, the beginning of this season, you would think if, if Deanna was at a point where she was ready to relinquish and give control over to Rick, that he would take it and run. And I think Rick has come to the realization that the town needs her as well. And so it was a really cool interaction with, you know, with, with them when, he, you know, when she asked him, you know, you know, was this all just like a, a pipe dream? And, and he said, you know, no, that, you know, you this, this was something good. So I, I love, you know, those kind of moments. And then at the very end when she kind of walks the wall and then we see the weird wall bleeding thing. But. And, and just seeing all those walkers against the wall kind of pushing in on them. I, 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 just some really great visuals. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it, if this was season two, this would be a four and a half buster episode, right? I mean, this is the best season two type of episode we've had in, in season six uh, at this point. They did such a good job interweaving the first three stories in such a creative way with the time and and the, the the sound effects, the music, the 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 style it was directed, it was like one long episode. Then we get the breather of the Morgan episode. That was supposed to be the breather. Although I come to understand they sh they shot these episodes out of order. They shot that like the the Morgan episode later on. It wasn't shot in this order. But either way, that was the breather. Now we should go back to some some ramping up of the action. You know, and it's like someone said, okay, it's time to have the Alexandria people have some time. So let's just give an Alexandria episode out. We'll give it to some writer. Write an episode. Make it standalone. Make it about the Alexandria people. Let's flesh them out a little bit. And here's your episode number four, number five for the season. It just it just broke the whole momentum of the season down. Hopefully, hopefully we can pick it up next season. But I'm going to say this for the record again. I called this when you guys all said, oh, they'll solve the Glenn thing in the first couple of episodes. They'll, they won't stretch it out to episodes. They're going to stretch this thing out. As long as they possibly can, whether he's alive or dead. I mean, they're just toying with us now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to get resolution next week. I think this is going to be no. everybody else except. And I, I think it'll be... So at that point, it'll be what? That'll be episode... Next week is what? Episode five? Episode six. 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 There's so, two more left after that. Yeah. yeah. It's, Sophia, <laughs> it's Sophia in the barn all over again. All over again. But um, I think I think. Well, let's not start calling it Sophia in the Barn until they've done it for what was that seven episodes? Yeah. It's well, been that was two, six, wasn't it? It was six. I mean, either way, this has still only been two. Well, yeah, the, that's true, yeah. the difference between Sophia and the Barn was there was no real cliffhanger aspect to. I mean, there was a little bit, but not like the Glenn thing. Not only that, but everybody and their grandma isn't out looking for Glenn. You know, everybody is still kind of out right. doing their separate thing, and a lot of this is kind of taking place. At the same time, you know, the, the Morgan episode obviously was an interlude that that took place in the past. 
next week's episode, I think is probably going to take place at the same time period as, as, as this past week's episode. So, you know, the, the difference with the Sophia thing was, it was just week after week of them actively looking for her. Whereas this, it, I I think, I think the most interesting theory about the whole Glenn thing, and it'll tie into something we'll talk about more in their spoilers, uh, section because of the casting that was made this week. Yes. There's some casting news. But I think this is a misdirection and set up for the encounter with that, uh, particular story arc. Could be. Could be. I think that's, that's vague gonna be enough. Isn't it? Is that vague enough? <laughs> yeah, that's vague enough. I think so. But, and that's uh, episode fifteen, at least, right, right? Or, or sixteen? Maybe. We're talking about maybe. It yeah. Could, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's just uh, like a misdirection set up for that that particular story beat. Uh, now, the more I think about it, the more I've watched that episode now. But I mean, going back to the the uh, real quickly, uh, you know, Russ, you were talking about the uh, Deanna uh, Tova Fel- Tova is like this, you know, classically trained uh, uh, Broadway actress. So acting with just her face and her, you know, her, her motions and her statue, you know, her posture and everything is like, I mean, they really need, you really need a good actor to get those kind of things across and using very few words, you know, like she does in this. And I thought, I agreed with you. I thought her performance was great in this, but I also agree with Jordan. It seemed kind of disjointed considering how, how well the first three, uh, like Craig said, the first three episodes intertwined. Uh, this one, you know, by comparison, didn't really, you know, fit like that one. It didn't have that kind of, you know, stylistic uh, symmetry or, or or structure to it. So, so let's get into the uh, episode recap proper here. Of course, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 5, titled Now, which aired on November 8th, 2015. It was written by Corey Reed and directed by Avi Yuabian, which is a very fun name to say. And uh, like we said, it focuses mostly on our uh, Alexandrian characters, with the exception of Maggie. And a fun fact, not only is this the 50th TV appearance of Maggie, but uh, that scene between... Um, Deanna and Rick is more or less taken directly from the comics, uh, issue 78, and that's the 50th appearance of Maggie in the comics. So I don't know if they did that on purpose, but that is kind of fun. Wow, interesting. And she had a great episode. I mean, the material she was given was pitiful, but she acted the heck out of it. Yeah. So we start the episode with Deanna, who is standing up on the wall, uh, looking at what what I could tell from that placard was that was the first piece of wall set. Am Am I correct in my reading of that? Yeah, that was Reggie's signature on there, wasn't it? Right, and I think it said number one, so that would make it the first one put up. Um, and she she's there, but you can hear in the background um, Michonne telling Maggie that Glenn didn't make it back, um, but they had promised to send a signal if he got stuck. So you're hearing that kind of in the background, and then you hear Rick uh, screaming, open the gates, open the gates, which is the same thing we heard at the end of last week's episode with uh, Morgan at the end of the bookend there. So Rick is sprinting towards Alexandria as walkers are emerging from the woods and surrounding him. Uh, Michonne opens the gate for Rick and slams it shut just as the other half of the quarry herd reaches Alexandria. So the terrified Alexandrians gather by the wall as the herd pounds on the other side, and Rick assures everyone that Daryl, Sasha, and Abraham will return with their vehicles and lure the walkers away once they've taken care of the first half of the herd from the quarry, that they're still luring away, at least that's our understanding of the situation. We haven't actually seen them in a couple weeks now. So he urges the residents to keep noise to a minimum and bright lights to a minimum in the meantime while they wait out this siege. And this was the first of many speeches this episode, by the way. (laughs) Not just by Rick, but by a lot of people. Right, exactly. The first of many speeches by a lot of people. And then, of course, comes Aaron's mea culpa, which will come next. But it's, yeah, a lot of speeches, a lot of soliloquies, monologues, just jammed into an episode. And it seemed like, again, Rick has to reiterate to these people how to act and behave because they've not had to deal with this before. And, And that's how they've lived day to day since this all started. And and we get even, I think, 
it kind of really comes to a head later in the episode when when Deanna is trying to kill that walker and she just keeps stabbing it but not in the head. You know, it's just it's like their their brains aren't wired to survive the proper way because because they they just haven't had to. Yeah, they've been playing on easy mode for two years. <laughs> yeah. Time for the training wheels to come off. So, sensing the Alexandrians' growing frustration, Aaron confesses that the wolves learned about Alexandria after finding the photos um, that he lost uh, with his backpack at the end of last season, and he credits Rick with successfully leading half the herd away from Alexandria, basically saying, look, I know you're mad at Rick, but he's not the problem here. If he hadn't intervened, this would be literally twice as bad. And uh, then Deanna walks away in a daze where she remains for most of the episode. See, now I didn't, I didn't notice in that episode when the wolves attacked that he found those photos that he showed Rick and everyone in the wolves backpack. I, I just yep. realized that he had, I just thought he had found them, you know, on his own, like of his, from his own stuff. It, didn't, it wasn't until this episode that it clicked. Oh, that was in the backpacks of the, of the wolves who came and attacked. Well, and that may have been his backpack that the wolves were using. I it can't was. recall the exact backpack, but... It that was, was Aaron's backpack. Back. He recognized his own backpack Wait. underneath the body or something of one of the dead wa- uh, wolves. Oh, okay. I must and that's what that. caught his eye. Yeah, that yeah. was his, his pouch. And then, he, of course, the photos were still in there. So later, Jesse drags the dead wolf that she had killed in her kitchen. She drags it to the graveyard and she starts to dig, but Rick uh, finds her and reminds her that they don't bury killers inside the walls, uh, And although he does not have a solution for how they should dispose of the bodies at the moment since they can't actually get outside. That scene with Rick and Jesse, I, I like it. I just, I'm not feeling the, the chemistry, though, between those two. Is I, I think they're trying to set it up. I just don't feel it. What, what do you guys think about that? Uh, I don't feel an absence of chemistry. I don't think it's the strongest chemistry in the world, but it's it certainly works for me in terms of television. Hmm. It, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I just I remember this line from Mystery Science Theater. Oh, the white hot indif- indifference. You know, <laughs> just like, they seem like they're supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, attracted to one another and have the you same know, uh, attraction or whatever. But they really doesn't seem like it. To me. I agree with you. It doesn't really seem like they're. I, I do have problems with the relationship, but it's not because of that. But we'll get into my, my problems with it later on. So over at the pantry, uh, we see the scared residents of Alexander trying to raid the pantry, despite Olivia's attempts to ration the food um, as Deanna kind of watches on and Spencer comes in, Spencer, uh, just as a reminder, is Deanna's other son, the one who's not dead. He passionately urges everyone to stop, uh, lest they all suffer the consequences in the future, basically saying, you're going to look back on this day, and remember, this was the day that everything started going to hell, because we started just fending for ourselves and not working as a group. It's a nice little soliloquy, but again, it's another speech, as we say. And uh, the residents eventually comply, and Deanna smiles proudly at her son. So then we catch up with Aaron, who sees Maggie rigging a flashlight to a uh, metal pole, and nearby he sees a group of Alexandrians painting the names of the deceased on a memorial section on the wall, including the names of Glenn and Nicholas. So the Alexandrians at least have written Glenn off as dead, and Nicholas, but we know they're at least correct on Nicholas for sure. Uh, So Aaron quarters Maggie in the armory and correctly guesses her plan to scale the wall and go search for Glenn herself. Um, And seeing as she's determined to go through with it, he offers to help and show her a safer way out of Alexandria that won't involve them having to climb through uh, 15 feet deep of walkers all the way around the walls. And here we go again, Maggie gathering supplies to spend half a season looking for Glenn. I I just (laughs) saw it happening in front of my eyes. It's just, you know, here we go again. Glenn, where are you? You know... We'll we'll see at the end what happened, but you know, it, it, I just saw the whole thing unfolding 
Yeah, and why I totally get what you're saying, I do think that the way the episode resolves that plot does put these does put your thoughts in a different light. Yes, we, we can save it for then, but I think the show knows exactly what you're thinking about that and is hopefully commenting on it directly and not just uh, spinning its wheels, but we'll see. Uh, so we then catch up with Diana again as she looks at Reg's wedding ring and uh, snaps out of her daze. Uh, she spreads a map of Alexandria out on the table and starts drawing out plans for an expansion of the community where different crops are going to go, that kind of stuff. And there's a Latin phrase at the bottom that she writes that uh, essentially means uh, this pain will help you in the future. Yeah, I, I, it. it's a someday this pain will be useful to you. But don't ask me to say it in Latin. Dolor hic tibi proterit olim, I think it says, whatever. That's what that means. And here's where, if I weren't so lazy, I, I would probably edit in the um, Life of Brian uh, Latin conjugation. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Now write it 50 times by sunrise or I'll cut your balls off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, so Deanna finds Spencer drunk in the kitchen along with a bin of stolen food, and she chastises him for raiding the supplies after his nice little speech to the group. And Spencer accuses Deanna of giving everyone a fence, false sense of security and blames her for Reg and Aiden's deaths. Shocked at his behavior and the accusations thrown at her, Deanna re- returns to a semi-catatonic state. So yeah, Spencer talks a mean game, but uh, he's a bit of a hypocrite, it seems. Well, he said my bad when he dropped the glass, so it's some really great writing on, on the part of the show here. But the, they always work in, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, does Deanna always say the word bullshit in every episode? <laughs> Like, it seems like she said it four or five times already. Like, once to Rick, once to Sasha. <laughs> now she says it to her own son. Is that That's her tagline? Is that what it is? Yeah, maybe. I mean, people have people have phrases that they return to often, you know. <laughs> it seems like that's, uh, that's, that might be, like, the, the strongest thing that AMC will allow her, allow her to say, you know? I mean, because they can't drop F-bombs, right? Right, right. No, right. they can't. We remember that from when they were But we're not here to talk about catchphrases. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mother dick. <laughs> Meanwhile... Uh, because we're now going to plot 73 of the episode. Mm. Uh, Carl asks Ron to help him go find Enid, and Ron refuses and threatens to tell Rick if Carl goes after Enid on his own, so they have a little cat fight on the ground, and Carl eventually wins. But barely, because it's a pretty pathetic fight. Yeah, and Ron was stabbing the dirt right when that episode, when that scene started. I guess he's trying to train himself to be better with weaponry, maybe <laughs> even at this the point. ground attacks him. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's trying to do something, and, uh, and then Carl has that little shove fest with him, and I guess in wins. What, they called him on the Talking Dead, what was it, the Shovenator? <laughs> Basically. It just reminded me, and I put this on the, the Facebook group, and it reminded me of boy fights from Arrested Development. That was funny, actually, yeah, yeah I like saw it was that. Just, it was, like, at, at a certain, to a certain extent, I'm like, I, I do like that they portrayed this dumb fight between dumb teenagers as really pathetic. I like that, because... All too often, they would try to TV fight, TV a fight a little bit too much and make the fight look cool when these are really just two dumb teenagers. But at the same time, I feel like while Carl hasn't necessarily been in a bunch of fist fights on the show, we know he can handle himself really well, really well. And I'd like to see a little bit more competency on his end. But I guess I can just take it as he wasn't really trying to hurt Ron. He was just trying to get Ron to leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he can tussle with the, you know, the walkers, then I think he can he can handle Somebody that's completely untrained, yeah. But that would have been kinda... cool to see. Like, the, Carl totally beat this guy up. Just one punch or one elbow to the face, and this guy's down, not just a shove. I mean, I'd like to see some of Carl's skills come out just for half a second at that point. But they didn't do that. They just made it kind of an equal teenage boy fight, like you said. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the fact that Carl was being assertive. I, 
I think he should have. I think they should have played it a little heavier, in my opinion, and not not so much from a physical standpoint, but from a like even a verbal standpoint. I think Carl should have been a little more assertive to get his point across. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed like they played it a little light to me. I don't know. I was fine with his level of assertion until Ron brought Rick into the picture with, you know, I'm going to tell your dad specifically. And I, I thought they worked it pretty well in terms of that being the thing that immediately made Carl take pause in terms of uh, his plan, because, you know, his dad is the one person who could stop him for real. So uh, to, to a certain extent, it worked for me. I thought he was being more assertive before that verbally. I did like the fact that they were giving that to Carl. I, I think at times either they use him kind of as a background piece or, you know, going back to the early seasons, it's always like, oh, Car- there's Carl. He's not where he should be or he's always, you know, sneaking off where he, he shouldn't be. And lately it just seems like he'll have a couple lines of dialogue and then he's kind of treated to be in the background. Up, There's a couple episodes, you know, that's, that stand out, but not enough. Uh, for for me, and I think it's good that we saw a little bit, you know, have him have this moment, and we've seen that a little bit this season with him and Enid, which is, which is good because I think they're starting to to realize as as he gets older uh, and 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 is more mature that he can you know handle you know being more involved in these situations. So I, I hope this is a sign of of more Carl uh, interaction to come. You saying that makes me think we should actually take it aside for a second. Uh, Russ, what are your thoughts on Enid on the show? Uh, eh. (laughs) You know, she just seems kind of annoying, uh, a little too annoying. Uh, I I think when they gave her that little bit of backstory, um, and was it it PSS or JSS? JSS, JSS, yeah, JSS. It helped a little bit because I realized, okay, she's probably not been there since the beginning like the rest of them, but... I think they're playing on the uh, loner, wounded party thing a little too much. Like, it's it's a little too overbearing for me. And just, I think they need to dial her back a little bit and, and have her be a little more, um, either dial it back or completely, you know, turn it to 11. You know what I mean? Like, it, it she's in kind of this mushy middle stage as far as, like, her attitude and her interaction with people. And it just, I don't know, it just gets kind of annoying to me. That's that's just me. She's not, she's definitely not a bright spot uh, to season five and six for me. Fair enough. I mean, her acting, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. She's young, though. I think she's only, what is she, 16? Yeah, I think 17? so, yeah. yeah. And, I, and we all know that, that Carl can act. I mean, we all know that, that Chandler Riggs can, we've seen him act, and there's, there's been several episodes featuring him. We know he's got it. This could have just been poor direction, maybe yeah, a little bit of a weak dialogue. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't blame the actress uh, because I think she does what they give her well. I th- I think it's just the way they're writing her. It to me is just. I think they need to make a change or flip a switch or do something to to kind of get her out of this this weird bratty stage. I don't know. Those kind of characters just kind of irritate me uh, over time. You know, when when characters don't grow and just stay a certain way just to stay a certain way, unless they're just flat out evil and just love being evil. Cause then it's, it, you know, then it, it turns into a little bit of a campiness, but uh, when characters are just kind of irritating, it just, it just wears thin on me. And speaking of chemistry, I actually find chemistry between Enid and Carl. I, I saw that. I felt that. Yeah, no, I agree. For some reason, just when they were back to back in that last episode, I think it was JSS when the wolves came by. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. you felt it even in the tree. What was it last year? 
That was yeah. it was cool. I mean, you felt some sparks there between those two teenagers, and that that was what I didn't feel between Rick and Jesse, I suppose. So at least not yet. So in plot seventy seven B over at the infirmity uh, infirmary, Denise pours through some medical textbooks in desperate search of a treatment for Scott, uh, who is unconscious with a life threatening infection in his leg wound. And uh, Tara stops by and tries to lift Denise's spirits, but Denise remains frustrated and scared. This had a good a good outcome with her character. Yes. And I was I was glad for that. Again, I think she's another one that had they kept going the route they were going, it would have kind of the same thing, just been kind of irritating. It's like, okay, you're either going to help or you're not. And for every episode to just be like, well, I know I need to, but I but I but I'm afraid and, you know, I you know, I haven't I haven't done much with this training and we need a new doctor. You know, I get that for a little bit. And so to see that that get resolved in this episode, I was really happy about that. I'm pretty much right there with you. I didn't dislike the character up until this point, but there was just nothing there, really. It was just Doctor Strange without the magic um, or the you know debilitating hand injuries. But that's beside the point. <laughs> um, it, it, it was there was just really nothing there. It was a very good actress who was being given nothing really to do that I haven't seen before. But I agree that last scene in this episode, which we will get to eventually, that totally puts a new spin on it and makes me much more interested in where they go with this character. Uh, so while walking by a neighbor's house, uh, Jesse spots a zombified Betsy uh, with slashed wrists through a window, uh, and re- residents gather around and curiously watch as Jesse puts zombie Betsy out of her misery, and then she gives her speech saying, this is what life looks like now, we have to see it, we have to fight it, because if we don't, we die, which was, I think part of that at least was used in the trailer for this season, but it wasn't until afterwards uh, that I, I realized that this was Betsy Betsy, this was David's Betsy from uh, two weeks ago, uh, the the what, the recent wife of David who oh. had the note written to her, um, oh, yeah. didn't when he that. didn't make it home, she took her own life, and that's why she was, uh, that's why she was a zombie here. It's hard to keep track of these rascally Alexandrians, but you're doing a pretty good job of that, Jordan, you're, you're, you're <laughs> on it, man, that's, that's great. Now that I put down this zombie, I'm gonna go make some cookies. <laughs> I, I do like her speech though again there's probably about 40% too much speechifying in this episode that being said this was a solid speech it, it was did you love how the townspeople all converged on her yeah. I mean, the, they all heard that this woman turned in the house somehow and they all even Denise from the other from the previous scene somehow ran out of the hospital and came to listen to this speech it's a small town news travels fast man <laughs> Jesse's making a speech let's go come on let's go <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Aaron shows Maggie a sewage grate and says the sewer leads underneath the wall and will put them out uh, just outside of the zombies so they won't have to fight through them. And despite Maggie's protests, he insists on joining her uh, uh, underground. Aaron expresses his guilt over leading the wolves to Alexandria in the first place again. And then he saves Maggie from two walkers that emerge from the sewer muck. Uh, these are, by the way, awesome looking walkers. I-, I posted this in the Facebook group, but one of them looks pretty much identical to Clifton the Beard Skull, who's the mascot for the uh, metalcore band Becoming the Archetype. But I love the designs of these. They are falling apart. Maggie's arm literally just goes through the flesh of one of them. And I was almost waiting for her hand to come out the back of its head and her to kill it that way. But Aaron and Maggie fight the zombies off, um, and uh, Maggie urges him to turn back as he has injured his head, but he refuses. Squishy. Now, the skeleton walkers were very, very good. I mean, all hail Nicotero here. I mean, the, the, yeah. these were really skeletons. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> had the exposed bones skeleton. and the exposed uh, oh. uh, uh, organs underneath of them. Just so good. Must... I mean, you, you think you've seen it all, and then it, it, this comes. 
one more thing. There was someone in the Facebook group, and please forgive me, I didn't write down the person's name, but you know who you are. They said, and they're so smart, our group, by the way, why didn't Aaron tell Rick about the drain? So they can get out and lead the walkers away with with the vehicles and stuff. I thought that was a pretty cool little idea. I'm like, you know, that's, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, while that makes sense, I, I think Rick's plan of waiting till Sasha, Abraham, and Daryl get back to do it with the vehicles they already have makes just as much sense. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it would be a good plan B, but I don't know that it'd be necessarily any better than that first plan. Especially because, and now granted, this is all me just, uh, you know, theory crafting, but. At this point where they are right now, having those zombies around the walls is actually probably a good thing in that it's going to keep the wolves from getting back in at this very moment. And like, Rick even it, says that, too. He's like, the, oh, does they, he? they're guarding the place now or something. He says it to Ron in the next Oh, that, that's right. Yeah, but essentially you've got a very active moat at the moment. And given what just happened uh, two or three weeks ago, might be a good thing to have for a while. Uh, back at the infirmary. Denise reads a passage in one of the medical textbooks and uh, has a eureka moment, uh, injects saline into Scott's infected leg, and she smiles as the syringe fills with pus and his heart rate stabilizes. And she says, hot damn. <laughs> Which I liked as a nice little character moment. Uh, this seems to be her getting her groove back. I, I mean, hopefully, in terms of the uh, reluctance to perform medicine, hopefully that storyline is now in the past. Um, with that, with that, she got the encouragement from from Tara. She had a eureka moment. She helped the guy. She saw these things can work out, and hopefully, we never have to deal with it again. I'm liking Denise more and more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I get hesitancy. I get, um, you know, the fact that her lack of experience is going to play into her ability to save people, but and and that's fine because that could build tension and that and that could be used effectively, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm uh, like I said before. I'm just glad they're beyond, uh, you know, her. Hopefully, I'm ho- hopefully they are beyond, um, you know, the insan- You know, this whole you know week after week of of wishy washiness. Well, it's one of those things where if she were an a tier character on the show, or maybe not even necessarily this show, but just a television show. Okay, that's a compelling storyline. That could be an entire season of of a doctor trying to get over their anxiety, and you know, if they're a main character, if they're a C or D or E tier lever character like Denise is at this moment, and that's not a knock against her or the actress. It's just what it is. Having to come back to it for three minutes an episode week after week just gets super super old, and it's sort of those. It's one of those things where. Uh, the rule of you know decreasing returns, and I know I'm using the wrong phrase, but the further you are away from the main cast, the less and less those small character moments matter if they if you keep returning to them. It'd be like if you it, it's sort of like Father Gabriel with his insecurities. If he was a main character, and they did a way better job with him, quite frankly. But if he was a main character and that was a main plot, it might work. But as two or three minutes per episode every week horribly written and horribly acted, it just ain't working. Yeah, it just seems know. like that that would becomes the, the character's one note, and that's all you find out about them, and it just makes the character seem more one-dimensional. It's like, oh, okay, she's having anxiety about doing a medical procedure again, you know. Um, that's why I'm glad they, they kind of, uh, not really resolved it, but like put a spin on it in this episode. Well, and that that might be exactly the, the missing ingredient for my, my thoughts on that, Jim, in that it becomes one note. If she's a main character, 
on this show or another show, then hey, you can have ten things that define this character, and this ongoing storyline just happens to be one of them, but once you're C, D, E, F level character on the show, it does become the one thing that defines you, and having an insecurity be the one thing that defines you, particularly on a show like this, ain't gonna work. So who makes the better fake doctor? Is it Liza Manawa, or is it Denise? <laughs> um, I actually think they both do a pretty good job. We won't it. spoil anything for Russ, though, right? We're not spoiling anything for you. Don't worry. You can catch up on fear on your own. <laughs> so, up on the wall from the lookout post, uh, Rick is radioing Sasha and Abraham, but he gets no response from the walkie-talkies. Um, and Ron climbs up and finds Rick and tells him that he stopped Ro- Carl from pursuing Enid into the woods. And then he asks for shooting lessons. Uh, so Rick takes the, uh, the bullets out of the python, hands it to Ron, and gives him a few pointers on how to target walkers in the head. So is this just Ron being baby Macbeth here, or what What are our thoughts on Ron's uh, intentions? Because my thought is he's totally trying to play Rick and to a certain extent succeeding. That's yeah, what I too. think, too. Yeah, He's up to something. This is not legit. He, he's still mad at Rick for killing his yeah, father. Definitely. He's mad at Carl for stealing his boyfriend. He's going to get back at the Grimes one way or the other. And, and to a certain extent, he is completely... I don't, I don't know, justified is the wrong word, but I fully understand why he would have those thoughts and, and want to do those things. And thankfully, Rick was smart enough to take the bullets out of the gun, but I still felt like Rick should have been smarter about what's going on here. But then again, he doesn't really know the whole Enid situation, I guess. Rick may realize what's going on and playing like he doesn't know what's going on and keeping this kid at arm's length. You That's know, a Rick good point. Is, Rick's a pretty smart guy, and I think he's going to tread lightly when it comes to this kid. See, it feels like he's trying extra hard to be a father figure to to him. He, I think he feels bad. Well, not bad. I shouldn't say that. I don't think he cares about his father that he killed. But I think he feels he knows he's going to be with Jesse. And he wants to be a, someone that this kid can look up to. He wants to be a good father for him. That may cloud his his judgment a bit, I think. That's true. Yeah, I could see I could see that as well. If, if there was anything, that would be it. Uh, we then catch up with uh, Denise. Uh, she ca- she walks up to Tara on the porch and kisses her and confesses that she is scared for the community. Tara smiles and insists that this isn't the end of the world. But hey, it looks like Tara has a girlfriend now, so I'm super happy about that. And th- this is the moment that we were talking about earlier where this kind of makes me all the more interested now in, uh, in Denise's character. Because A, and not to go into the comics, but this is very different than where the books went. Tara's not even a character in the books. Um... But it makes me all the more interested in Denise and where this could go and gives her, hey, a new dimension. She's now not just defined by being anxious, but she's defined by the people she loves as well, which is something that all these characters help with. It kind of puts in perspective in the last week's episode, too. Not last week's, the previous one, the third episode in where they're in the um, in the hospital. And there's a lot of scenes with with Tara and Denise. And now... And people kept why. thinking it was uh, Eugene they were going to pair her up with. Yeah, maybe it was the second one. I don't know. It all seemed like one episode. But yeah, we thought she was going to be Eugene's girlfriend for a while, and then it kind of turned. But I, I like it. It's, it was a tender moment between the two of them. I think Alana Masterson's a really better actress than anyone gives her credit for, too. Uh, she really played it very cool, and I, I like where this is going. Again, for some reason, even though it's, you know, I see sparks for those two. That was really good. Good, good scene. Is, is it me, too? Is it becoming obvious that uh, Alana Masterson in real life is pregnant. I, th- I just thought it was kind of funny. She's got that black. Is she? Because like, I thought that for a second, but oh, I wow. didn't know that she was pregnant in real life. Yeah, and I remember them saying like they weren't. What I thought I didn't think she was pregnant 
as of them shooting this, but it seems like she's wearing that black zip up hoodie thing. She's got her hands in her pockets in the front. You know, it's almost like they're, uh, you know, they're trying to cover it up. And I honestly, I think that's a better deal than always either shooting from the waist up or constantly shooting behind like a counter or holding a, you know, a, a book for <laughs> or, or a giant teddy bear. Like they did once it, on the Cosby show. Yeah. 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 So they also said that it wouldn't affect the show. Like basically they weren't, it wasn't a situation where, Oh, they're going to suddenly write her being pregnant into the show. Like they do with some shows when the actresses become pregnant, it becomes a plot point. Uh, and you really you know, can't this, do that with Tara's yeah. character. So that would, I, yeah, I mean, I guess they could, but well, they be... could, but you'd have to really write around that. I mean, there's not exactly in vitro yeah. fertilization in the uh, post-apocalypse. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be uh, anyway. So I, it's just something I, I, I noticed. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a big deal. But I, I'm just curious as the season goes on if we're going to see it be a little more prevalent. They did the same thing last season with uh, Sneakwa Martin Green, who plays Sasha. She was also pregnant, and they gave her that green right uh, jacket that I was shirt that was uh, Bob's. Mm-hmm. Right, right. They covered her up pretty good. You really couldn't tell. So Maggie and Aaron reach the end of the sewage tunnel only to find it blocked with walkers outside. And uh, Maggie says they can't keep going, tearfully admitting that she is pregnant, which I think pretty much everybody is called by this point. And she says, I don't know if he's alive. Uh, I I don't get to know what will happen. And she and Aaron hug. But basically, uh, my memory of the scene is her saying, I've been down this road before last season, uh, you may recall, and I don't need to go down that road again. He may, Maybe he's alive, maybe he's dead. He will either come back or he won't, but I can't, I can't just, you know, turn into this machine that only cares about finding him. I have to continue on for this community, for this kid, for myself, and we can't go down that same road again. Kind of meta, kind of a character moment, but either way, I thought it worked. I just kind of, I chuckled to myself a little bit. Uh, watching that part after what we've seen in the past few seasons, you know, with her chasing after Glenn and you know trying to find Glenn on the road to Terminus and everything else, but uh, but yeah, it did work within the context of the scene. I mean, you keep t- saying that you know this episode's kind of disjointed, but it does have some nice character moments in it. And I thought this was one of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, she even alludes to the fact that she doesn't know why this keeps happening to her, and you know, she's lost her father, she's lost her mother, she's lost her sister. You know, all that stuff is you know it. it just as she kind of gets to the point where she's healing and recovering from one loss, it's like, boom, she has another one. And so, you know, now, so, so that's kind of looming over her head, but yeah, I, I really thought it was cool when she said, look, I, I owed it to myself to make a good faith effort and, and to do what I needed to do to try and find him, even if I put myself in some danger, but once it gets to the point where the danger is overwhelming, I have a kid to think about. I can't just think about me. Like if it if it was just you know if she wasn't pregnant, it would be like well you know I have nothing else to live for. I mean if this if this person this man that I love is you know if there's a chance he's out there and still alive after losing everyone else in my life, then you know that's what I'm gonna do. So I thought it was a cool moment. I I I, I really like the fact that they again they pulled it back. Um, you know, I think it would have been unrealistic, uh, talking about realism in a zombie show, but for her to, to go out there against insane odds, you know, I, I thought it was kind of cool that they wrote her to, to pull it back and say, okay, look, this is, this is too far. Like, you know, if, if I could make it out and, and, you know, I could take care of myself and if the coast was mostly clear, that'd be fine. But 
you know, these odds are just way too overwhelming and, and, you know, I can't, I can't do this. So I, I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was kind of cool because I really thought they were going to just, she was going to go out anyway and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So to me, I thought that was a nice surprise to actually flip it around and, and pull that back. Yeah. It definitely elevated the whole episode in my eyes that, that they didn't go out looking for Glenn and, and, and she, again, acted the hell out of that scene, really did a great job right there. That, that, that's few lines that she had. I guess Lauren Cohan hanging out with some really good actors over the last five years, four years, has paid off because she's gotten a lot better. Her her accent is stronger than it was. She used to be her her British accent used to come out every now and again. She's she's getting better. I like her more and more now, and uh, that was a really good scene from her. Really, really good. Back at Jesse's house, uh, Jesse tries to convince Sam to come downstairs uh, by bribing him with cookies, but he stays on the second floor, afraid to return to the area where Jesse murdered the wolf. Um, I saw a lot of people complain about this scene. I kind of really liked it. Again, it's one of those things where with this episode, I liked a lot of the scenes, but I don't know they work together. I I think I would have this episode or this scene would have worked much better in a different episode somewhere with better context. But I did like the discussion of downstairs things have changed upstairs things are still the same and i don't want to come downstairs and as this quiet like mother-son moment i thought it really worked it just felt really weird in this episode he wants carol's cookies let's just be honest <laughs> he doesn't want jesse's cookies he wants carol's cookies. where was carol by the way this episode is she hiding somewhere where, where, scra- scraping the w off her forehead where, where, where'd she go man? sharpening her knives <laughs> oiling, oiling her weaponry you know Making yes. casseroles. That's what Carol does. Making casserole is awesome. I would say she is conspicuously absent, and maybe that means uh, we might have a Carol-centric episode <laughs> in this first half of the season. Because That'll at this be point, seven. Okay. At, well, I mean, at this point, everything's happening over the course of like twenty-four hours. We literally might not get outside of this twenty-four hour window in the first half of the season. Um, so maybe we get a, an all Carol episode showing what she did on the second half Car- of the day. Carol we'll was inside that dumpster. She saved Glenn, and they rode it out of there in victory. <laughs> That'd be perfect. You just see the thing fly open, and her come out in her Rambo gear, and just take out all the all the walkers. That would be right. perfect. How perfect. awesome would it be if she shows up in like four episodes, having not shown up, and she just shows up and and tells them that she followed the wolves, killed all of them, and they're no longer a threat. Like, <laughs> just completely off screen, she took it upon herself to take care of that problem. Yeah, don't worry about them. She one hand fires an M60 into. Yes. Into yeah. Whole yeah. lot of them <laughs> screaming. Ah. You know what? It's funny. We talked about this episode feeling a little disjointed and disparate. It almost seems like this was a bunch of second unit shooting that they pushed together. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, yep. it, 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 that's the, the kind of the closest analogy I guess I could, I could think of. It's almost like this is. Just like send out the second units and and do coverage for a bunch of stuff and then oh yeah uh, and then they piece it together. I, I would even build off of that and say it feels like the C or D plot from seven different episodes, and they just cut them out of those seven different episodes and edited them into one episode. Yeah. So, but yeah, basically the same idea. You know, it's again not really bad stuff in the segments. They just don't fit well together. So what is it? We, we can't have we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't have great interwoven action episodes with character development at the same time. It's like you have to just have one or the other, huh? You, you can't you can't do both at the same time. Is that well, what they're I mean, basically I'm fine with there not being a bunch of action in it. I just need the the dramatic character stuff to all congeal together. It doesn't need to have well, we, explosions in it; just congeal. That's yeah, all. Yeah, we talked about this a long time ago, uh, and it's something that I appreciate with the show when they do it is uh, 
they kind of vacillate between episodes like this where we get a little taste of everybody um, and then episodes where we get a whole episode on a limited number of characters, which it kind of stagnates the plot moving forward. But I feel like we get we get a full we get our fill. Right. So, I mean, they could have easily, you know, spread out the Morgan stuff and we got a little bit each episode, but it just seemed like it would have it would have been draggy. So instead, what they did was, OK, we're going to stop the progress of the show and we're going to stick this in here. Um and we've seen that a few times with the show, and it sounds like, you know, again, we're going to get that next week. Because I couldn't imagine in this episode if they had to cut into what was going on with with Daryl and and uh, and Sasha and Abraham. I mean, like, it would have just been, you know, just, just way too much. Uh, so this is just one of those episodes, I think, where they tried to do everything but. And there's enough characters in Alexandria where it's just like these quick hits that just seem somewhat disjointed. And maybe it's because they do it the other way so often where we'll get whole episodes where, you know, major characters aren't even in it, or we'll get whole episodes with just two or three characters that when they do something like this, it just seems a little, a little out of sorts. So that night, Deanna is on her way to return Spencer's stolen rations to the pantry. When a Walker, uh, one of the wolves that they had killed, but they hadn't found his body attacks her. And once again, snapping out of her daze, she stabs it repeatedly with a broken bottle in the chest, uh, knocking it down and getting herself covered in blood. Eventually, Rick arrives and kills it because he knows to aim for the head and not just the chest over and over and over again. And uh, she tells him, I want this. I want to live. I want this place to stay standing. And Rick urges her to lead the residence, but she insists that it's not her that they need. It is Rick Grimes. And still reeling from Spencer's accusation, she asks Rick if her vision for Alexander was pie in the sky, and he tells her, no, it wasn't. Again, Deanna's supposed to be the smartest one in this community, right? She was a congresswoman or something, and she's extremely smart. She knows Latin, all right? How does she not know, after watching all those Betamax tape interviews of all the people that they've taken in from the outside, that you're not supposed to aim for the head of a zombie, of a walker? I mean, do you, do you think that was intentional? I'm, you know, I'm, I mentioned earlier, yeah. but I'm starting to think it was intentional. It was almost like stress relief. She just, yeah, okay. she she purposely didn't want to put the thing down because of everything she was feeling. I mean, she she goes up to the wall. It's almost like, you know, yeah, she has these plans and everything, but. It, it was just it was really kind of interesting because, yeah, it just seems like it, it was purpose. It was almost purposeful that she didn't hit it in the head. It was like Jesse with the wolf two episodes ago. It was just that cathartic taking your anger yeah. out on something that no one's going to get mad at you for taking your anger out on. OK, I, I, I think anyway, I feel better about that. If that's the case, then I feel better about the, that. And then them just making her stupid all of a sudden because she's not stupid. No, but I mean, by the same token, I mean, smart people react in, you know, she hasn't been in that stressful situation before. So, I mean, sometimes you don't react the way you would like to, you know, when you're scared and, you know, shocked and, and just reacting blindly, you know, so. I mean, they're making it like she's never even seen a walker before. Last, I mean, they started that with the last episode. What would you say, Russ, with that haunted look on her face? And it kind of even yeah. went into this one, too. I keep seeing last episode, the one before the Morgan one. Probably and, had and, never had one know, that close to her. Right? Yeah, I mean, literally, that's probably true. She's been behind the wall since it started. She's probably never been wow. 
face to face with one before. And it's, I think it's uh, <clears throat> like you said earlier, it's one of those things where you might know what you have to do. I know I, I hate snow driving. I know how to you know steer into a skid and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean I haven't had plenty of close calls with snow driving where even though I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, I don't do it or don't do it fast enough or panic because, you know, driving in snow is the worst. You know, sometimes you might know exactly what you have to do, but just from you know, panic and only having a moment to think about it or not a moment at all to think about it. You just, you don't do it, particularly if you don't have to do it all the time. Right. If you only have to drive in snow once every two years or something. See, and to continue your, your analogy, Rick has driven in snow every day since the apocalypse started. He's been an ice road trucker right. for and, a while. And, <laughs> and, and is taking out her rear, rear, uh, rear wheel drive Ford Taurus. <laughs> With bald tires. With bald tires. <laughs> so... I like it. Although the Tauruses were front-wheel drive, but it's okay. We're not going to go there. This is not auto chat. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I used to drive a Ford Taurus. I had no idea. Anyway, uh, so Maggie uh, goes over to the wall uh, that has all the names uh, written on it on the memorial wall, and she starts erasing Glenn's name, and Aaron helps, and he also uh, erases Nicholas' name, which, boy, will he have some bloody egg on his face later. But uh, he jokingly suggests to her that Aaron, or Aaron, is a good name for either a boy or a girl, depending on how you spell it. And again, I really like this moment. It just doesn't gel yeah, with everything else, that's all. I, I really like the pairing. I like the pairing of Aaron and anyone, quite frankly, in the show. But I also really, really like the pairing of Aaron and Maggie. Yeah. For some reason, it just works. I'm like shipping everybody this episode. But you know what? If he wasn't didn't have a boyfriend, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> come on but, now. But I mean, like, just from a character perspective, yeah. is, is there anybody in the show that they've paired him with that he hasn't had really good actor's chemistry with? I, no. I agree. He's, he's become a, a standout character for me. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because in the beginning, I didn't think that's how they were going to play him. You know, obviously knowing what I know, you know, outside of the show. But they almost played him like What's-His-Face from Terminus at the beginning. Like, Oh, yeah, uh, I know what you were talking about, but I can't remember his name. You know, where it's like, I, I'm going to make you feel like this is a safe place, in, even though it's not a safe place. And I, I think they did that on purpose, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but... I, I really, I really like his character. I think the actor does a, f a, a outstanding job, and I, I hope he, I hope they keep him around for quite some time because I just, I, I as the as the season has gone on, uh, I, I just think he he just gets better and better. So yeah, I, I'm he's he's becoming a, a a favorite of mine. His name is Gareth, by the way. Gareth, yes, Gareth, yeah. yes. I want to say you. Mitchell for and some the reason. The actor's name is uh, right. Ross Marquand. Uh, Please, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, He's been a good addition to the cast. They've done some good casting lately. Really oh, good. Yeah. I mean, starting with him, I think all the Terminus, uh, Termin all the Alexandria people have really been very well cast, for the most part, the primary ones. I mean, if we call it secondary ones, a different story, but they're all sure. Maybe been not solid. Sturgis, but... Yeah. But I mean, that stupid hat. Oh, <laughs> what was his name again? Sturgis. Sturgis, that's right. His name was on the wall. How could I forget that? <laughs> Poor old Sturgis. But no, they've done a good job casting. E even... You know, Jesse, Alexandra Breckenridge, I like her. I like really all the Alexandrians have done. None, none of them are bothering me. Like Father Gabriel bothers me. That's, <laughs> I guess he's supposed to, though. So. <laughs> Uh, so Spencer goes over to the lookout post and re relieves Rosita for the night, and she thanks him for taking out the wolf's truck and credits him with the fact that the wall is still standing because if he hadn't sniped the driver, then they would have driven right through the wall. And after she leaves, Spencer munches on some stolen crackers. I've got a theory. Now, where is he standing 
at that point eating the crackers? Where is he? Um, at the wall? Is at, he at a specific point in the wall? Like the gate. The gate is where the lookout is, right? Uh, it works at Above least where one of the lookout, lookout spots is, but sure. Okay. So that's – I'll get to the rest of my theory when you continue on, but I think that's something to do with what happens at the end. Okay. Uh, so Rick joins Jesse in the garage and admits he expected Glenn and the others to have returned by now. And she assures him that they're probably still alive. And she says this is what or, and then he parrot, parrots back at her. This is what life looks like now. And Jesse says there has to be a future and ask Rick to tell her there's more. He nods and then he kisses her, which just reminding everyone in the context of the show, he murdered her husband less than a week ago. And now he's kissing her. He has now outshamed Shane. He's, it's just like the beginning of Hamlet. <laughs> wow. But yeah, like, that's my problem with it. Like, I, their their chemistry is fine. It, it, I don't think it's bad chemistry. I don't think it's great chemistry. It's fine. Although I, I will say from seeing um, Alexander Breckenridge on Talking Dead, she seems like a absolutely delightful person. Um, and you can never go wrong with a girl with blue hair. But that's beside the point. It's been literally a week, like at the most, since he murdered her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the the one thing, though, is I think Rick understands, like, she's probably had no love for him for quite some time. Right. Like, they, they, she cannot have possibly still been in love with him. Oh, I it don't doubt fear. that both of them want to do this. I'm just saying, ethically, there is a problem here. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. I mean, look, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's the end of the world. They can do whatever they want. I'm not going to, you know, right. I mean, put it's, Scarlet it's, Letters I, I on think it's chest. more on Rick than it is on her. Like if she like she wouldn't have initiated that. But Rick did. And from Rick's perspective, he's maybe not 100 percent stable. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, he he his wife is gone. And, uh, you, you know, I think he's trying to understand the fact that he's got a daughter. He's got a son. Um, and he kind of sees someone that, that maybe in this place he could, he could settle with. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't bother me. Honestly, I, I, I didn't have that same reaction. If, if the circumstances were a little different, if, if it, if it turns out that her husband was just a douche and not an abusive douche, then I think I would have a, a different opinion. But, you know, given that he's been beating her for probably almost their entire marriage, uh, I, I could easily see where, even though he, he's dead, uh, th- that she, you know, that 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 doesn't hang over her. But well, I mean, it was proven that he, he was abusive. Uh, a couple episodes, oh, yeah. yeah. So we we yeah. know he was hitting her. He was hitting her son, uh, and had done so in the past, right? So this was obviously a loveless marriage for quite some time, and she she just didn't know how to get out of it, even. Carol said, look, you better help her. I've been where she is. I've been in that abusive relationship before. This is this is going to end really bad. And that's what got Rick started, you know, in the whole thing. Uh, I just, I, getting back to the chemistry, I felt more chemistry in the in the episode, uh, I guess, last season when they were in the house at the party and the little kiss that they had there. I mean, that was, there was something there. This just seemed very forced. Again, it seemed like, okay, guys, it's time to get Rick and Jesse together. It's been enough time now. Let's... Let's get them together to kiss in the garage. I just didn't feel it. it. Didn't feel natural to me. But yeah, he's definitely turning into Shane. You're right about that. <laughs> we really got to be worried if he starts shaving his head <laughs> and sniffing everything and walking funny, right? 
<laughs> yeah. How high are his pants? Yeah, that's right. That's that's what it was. <laughs> uh, for our final scene of the episode, uh, we catch up with Diana again. She walks up to the gate with re- renewed determination. Uh, she watches the walkers banging at the fence, and she knocks back. And as she walks away, we see a trickle of blood leaking through a hole in the wall, which could be a literal thing or could be more um, metaphorical. But either way, I thought it was a nice little last image for the episode. It helped kind of add everything together in terms of, uh, or tie everything together in terms of the tone of this, you know, being the leak in the dam that's, you know, just kind of everything bursting forth and then barely being able to hold things together. Well, my, my theory was I watched the episode a couple of times. It looked more like, and you guys please correct me because maybe my TV's a little off, but it looked more like a drip than a leak. And it looked like it was coming from above. Like if blood was dripping from above, down onto something, maybe something happened to Spencer for hire on that shelf up Spencer there. For hire on, on that ledge. <laughs> um, maybe I don't think I don't think so though. I think it was coming from a hole in the wall. Okay, it seemed to be or- originating from one place, and I didn't see any yeah. like splashes landing on the top of that origination to to imply that it was coming from up above. But it was very darkly lit. So it, it was my TV's a little bit older. Maybe it was darkly lit. I couldn't really see, but it looked like it was dripping down downwards not forcing through and i'm like hmm spencer was right there maybe something maybe he did something to himself or he got hurt or somebody stabbed him or sliced him or something who knows yeah i doubt it but uh, we'll see who knows you could be calling it in a week or two and that's pretty much it for this week's episode so uh what did you guys think uh in terms of busters of course one being the lowest five being the highest uh alphabetically craig you would be first this week since aaron's not here so what'd you think it would have been a two and a half. However, since they didn't go out looking for Glenn for half the season, they stopped at that grate in the sewer. It brings it all the way up to a 3.0 busters for me. Uh, as I said before, it was the best season two episode we've seen this season. Uh, we had the speeches, the funny looks on the women's faces. All that was missing was the barn and the windmill. But I mean, uh, I'll take this episode over walking on the train tracks endlessly any day or hanging with the losers at Grady Memorial Hospital. I mean... <laughs> um, it, it definitely is better than we've seen in the past. If this if this is the worst that this season gets, I'll take it. Uh, but again, as I said, it's almost like some producers said, okay, we spent enough time with the main ensemble. Let's have an Alexandria-focused episode. They farmed it out to their weakest writer, their weakest director, and here we go. Here's episode number five. But I'll give it a 3.0, again, because they didn't go looking for Glenn. I give it a three out of five. It was just kind of... Like, uh, like Russell said, it seemed like a lot of second unit stuff, a lot of uh, connective tissue that kind of threw together into an episode. Um, I mean, the, as you mentioned, Jordan, there were good scenes, you know, were, were well-acted, well-written scenes, but this, as a whole, it didn't really seem like a, you know, a, a, a cohesive uh, piece. So uh, I give it a, a three. I'll give it a three and a half. I, uh, you know, it had its problems, but I think it had some really strong moments that were, that outshined the negatives. Uh, you know, mainly the, the Rick stuff, the Deanna stuff, uh, you know, that that to me was was good stuff. And then the Maggie, the, I think the Maggie Aaron is what really put it over the top. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was fairly happy with it. Like I said, I've, I've kind of been on a high uh, for, for the end of season five and season six. So, um, you know, a little bit of a of a speed bump. But uh, but again, it's it's I think it's been so strong this year that that's that's OK. I'll also give it a three and a half. Uh, and I, like I said earlier, 
it was a good episode. It was a fine episode. There was really, really good things inside of it. It just didn't congeal into a whole. But uh, I will uh, echo back what Craig said earlier because I thought it was a good point. If this is the worst this season gets, that's awesome because this season has been really, really strong so far. And uh, hopefully it can uh, head back in that direction of being really, really awesome. And if this is the lowest it gets, well, we have seen far, far worse on this show over the years. So, uh, yeah, three and a half. But before we get into what our listeners thought of this week's episode, Jim, uh, what can you tell us about our wonderful sponsor? Ladies and gentlemen, for uh, for as long as our uh, podcast has been around, pretty much we've had this great sponsor, DCBService.com, and their uh, their sister slash brother site, InStockTrades.com. If you like graphic novels, if you like the comics, or even if you don't read graphic novels and comics, but you like geeky stuff, like say you want a really really cool Michonne hoodie, or you want to get some of these really awesome McFarlane. Uh, uh, Walking Dead dioramas. I daren't. I, I really don't want to call them toys because they're like really detailed and cool. I'm, I'm looking at my Daryl and his chopper on my desk right now. <laughs> um, it, it, any of those kind of things, or if someone you know, holidays are coming up. Uh, someone is into The Walking Dead, or you want to get them into The Walking Dead, or someone is into the show and they have been talking about getting into the comics. Eh? Um, the, the The Walking Dead Compendium is the way to go there because you get what I think it's forty eight issues. It's a big each, book in each book. That's a big. It's one. a nice big book. Yeah. I leave mine in the restroom, so I can just kind of <laughs> refer to them as as need be. Uh, but any of these things that I've mentioned, you can get at InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com at a substantial discount, lower than you can get at a comic store more, more often than not, sometimes lower than you can get on Amazon. Um, it's always a great time to look on their site for sales. They have bundles. They have they have all kinds of sales all the time. Um, again, not just comics and, and graphic novels. If If you only watch the show and you don't read the comics, that's totally cool. Um, they have all the ancillary stuff. Like I said, they have toys, they have, uh, they have clothing, they have t-shirts, they have, you know, mugs, you know, if you, you know, you want to, uh, if you want to find, you know, get that, that awesome, uh, uh, diorama of the governor's, uh, you know, gallery of heads, you know, <laughs> I mean, they have it all there. Everything that's in the previous catalog, which is a giant compendium tome of, of pop culture goodness that comes out every month. Uh, anything that is in there, you can get at InStockTrades and DCBService.com at a substantial discount. Plus, the customer service is awesome. Uh, any problems can be easily taken care of by their courteous and, and, and thoughtful staff. And they've been a wonderful sponsor for us for a long time. I cannot endorse them highly enough. DCBService.com. Yeah, and as of, at the time of this recording, I'm on it right now, DC and Marvel hardcover and trade papers are 50% off. Nice. You're not getting that anywhere that's like a con price i mean <laughs> and again you know the holidays are coming up guys it's it's time to to start grabbing stuff for your loved ones and uh, you know if they're bitten by the zombie bug as much as you are if you're listening to this podcast and enjoying the tv show then there are a lot of things there uh, at your disposal uh to get your christmas wishes uh, taken care of for sure those compendiums make great holiday gifts Absolutely. and they're thirty two ninety nine each for forty eight issues. That's, There's three volumes that are out wow. now. That's less than ninety nine cents an issue. So even on Comicsology, when they have a Comicsology sale, you could buy the physical big book that you could use in case of the zombie apocalypse breaks out. You can <laughs> you can you can whack a zombie over the head and kill it with the compendium uh, of The Walking Dead. So and I really got to say, I, I, I mean, I, I've always read the um, The Walking Dead in trade. Or in compendium form, mm -hmm. it just seems to flow better that way for me. Um, you know, if you're getting just getting into the comics and you're like, you know, where do I start? Where do I begin? Um, 
that that compendium obviously it's a big bite to chew off but you know maybe just get the first trade you know or or whatever like i said but you're always going to find a better price for it and better service at dcbservice.com i prefer the trades in my reading room jim not the compendium but that's just my choice yeah yeah that's cool so jim why don't you tell us what our listeners on the walking dead tv podcast facebook group thought of this week's episode sure. well everybody we have a wonderful facebook group called the oddly enough it's called the walking dead tv podcast facebook group because you're listening to the Walking Dead TV podcast. If you haven't figured that out by now, and we added ten new members this week, we're up to six hundred and eighty-two. So we're almost at seven hundred. Maybe we should give out a prize for seven hundred. Let's Have do it. Have one of our interns get on that. <laughs> but every week we, um, it's a great uh, group to join. Um, also, um, uh, Aaron, who's sometimes here, uh, posts his uh, reviews there, and you can read his reviews of every episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, from from the link there, uh, you can get the you know past episodes. You can get the, uh, fun memes, uh, discussions, all kinds of good stuff. It's a real fun group. It's you know not full of trolls at all. Definitely come and join. But every um, every week we ask our listeners to chime in on what they think and give their busters on the current episode of The Walking Dead. And this week, of course, was no exception. Uh, we start off with Lucas King, my good friend, the crippled Avenger. Uh, nowhere near caught up, but I just have to say, Bustin makes me feel good. Ghostbusters reference there, huh? Hey man, right. it's Busters, right? Yeah. Um, hey, he's a new he's a new PS4 owner, so congrats to Lucas. Uh, I'm about to man. Fallout 4 just came out. I must I must own it. Uh, Shailen Benson Vega gave us 2.5 Busters, boring episode. Sam has a penis haircut and won't walk down ten stairs for some cookies. Lay Good off, night. Major Dotson. <laughs> Lay off, man. Ouch. <laughs> Uh, Judith Matthews chimed in on that one. I didn't think sexual organ haircut. I just thought his mom was a stylist. <laughs> That's a crappy haircut. Uh, Pamela Burton, three out of five sewer walkers. I don't like Jesse, and I don't care for the Jesse-Rick relationship. I like the stuff with Aaron and Maggie, and glad we found out for sure that she's pregnant. Uh, Brent Jones, 2.5 Zs out of five. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, tell us how you really feel, man. Uh, I, I know they have to have an episode that sets the table for the next few episodes, but do we need to see for the umpteenth time how inept the Alexandrians are? It seems like they could have condensed this part of the story into half an episode and progressed the story with the other half. Uh, Susan Monk, three out of five for two out of three major questions answered, plus a couple of Alexandrites seeing the light. Uh, Everard Santa Marina, now we see why they inserted the Morgan rebirth story last week because this episode sucked. <laughs> Wow. wow. Laying on the line, buddy. Uh, this is the worst episode since the Sophia Search era. <laughs> Where to start? The scene with Ron and Carl has to be one of the worst ever, and Ron ended up sympathetic somehow. Uh, do we know what the new doctor did to solve the infection? Deanna was on again, off again, and inspired them plumb crazy. Yeah. Bang on the fence, why don't you? Spencer, my favorite <laughs> for falling off the wall into the horde. Uh, Aaron and Maggie, is she going... No, you first. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, one sewer rotted zombie that seemed like forever to kill out of five. Wow. Uh, Belinda. Yeah, I know. That's, that's pretty harsh, Everard. Uh, Belinda Ake. I much preferred this week to last week. Three out of five slap fighting teens. <laughs> uh, David B. the third. Leaving the wolf pack by giving 4.25 Magians. Maglins out of five. Maggie Maggie I'm some shipping uh, contraction, I think. Uh, cleaned up the post-wolf attack loose ends and determination of the remaining semi-sane team. Although I thought the Morgan episode could have been a straight hour. It's the character story that matters that keeps me watching this show uh, live when everything, I was, uh, everything else I watch is usually two or three days after it airs. Uh, do we see Glenn in the preview for next week? 
No, <laughs> we did not, unfortunately. Um, Carl Hooker, I'll give it a 3.5 cold snickerdoodles out of 5. Definitely a transition episode. No Carol, Daryl, or Morgan. Jesse is growing on me, which means she'll probably be dead soon. Also, did an Alexandrian question Rick at the beginning of the episode? That's like writing your own death ticket. She said, this that's is ex- a graveyard. That's exactly what happened to the one guy in the, in the other episode, too. He questioned Rick and was dead within five minutes. <laughs> I noticed that, too. Uh, Mike Jones, three Sophias out of five. Might as well be in season two with all this Glenn nonsense. I kept waiting for a moment of greatness, but I was left with average. Uh, thought at times like a bunch of random scenes pieced together. Hmm. Uh, Mandy Dean, three Aaron or Aaron out of five. I don't like the love crap. <laughs> and Deanna seriously doesn't realize you have to get them in the head. Uh, to which Judith Matthews uh, replied, she was too damn short. <laughs> Man, her son is tall and a babe. Uh, Judith Matthews goes on, three stolen crackers out of five. Did like the branchy sewer walkers. Hate Jesse and Rick. When someone asks, do you want my teen daughter finished, build a snowman. I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, not an overly exciting episode. Hope New Doc has protocols for getting rid of syringe plus goo. Black. Uh, Trisha's Terry Collins, uh, 2.75 busters, busting up the season's track record of good episodes. It seemed that everyone took turns making this little meaningful speeches. And please explain how Rick escaped the RV. His hand is fine and is well aware <laughs> of the missing character's fates except Glenn. Did I blink and miss something? No, ma'am, you did not. Well, I mean, his but, he, his hand was still injured. We saw him, right. you know, he was bleeding when he came up, and I think it was bad. we still don't know how he got out of it. That was a pretty sticky situation with the RV. Yeah, that was I feel like he just. I feel like he just ran. Like, he just ran and avoided the zombies and didn't fight mm-hmm. them and ran for a mile back. I mean, I don't know that I needed any more explanation than that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I guess not, but, I mean, they really set it up like he was a goner. I mean, it was, it was yeah. a pretty serious yeah. little they cliffhanger like there. A, yeah. They didn't, yeah, they didn't address it. I just, yeah, I thought, you know, if they're going to set it up like a cliffhanger, at least pay it off, you know. Uh, Max Sofer, three soliloquies out of five. I guess it was all right. It, I like that we got some loose ends attended to, but this will forever be known as the dialogue episode in which all the smaller characters get to earn their paychecks. Uh, Cheryl Morris Goodman, 3.8 transition episodes out of five. Not a bad episode, just not great either. I wanted to tell Rick to shut up in the beginning, especially after he was saying for everyone to be quiet and turn the lights off. Why make a speech right outside the gate so all the walkers will hear me? Um, we kind of heard that speech before too, Rick. We get it. Uh, Mary, Mary Turkpecchia, I give it three traditional busters out of five. After the great start, I expected a letdown at some point, and this definitely was it. I cared more about Tabitha the Goat than most of the community people. <laughs> Everybody did. <laughs> oh, Tabitha, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> Robert Nigro, two intern scripted episodes out of five. Ho-hum. Uh, Tanya Royston, we give it a 3.5. Can we lock down the pantry and armory, please, out of five? Good point, Tanya. It wasn't one of my favorites of the season, but feel there was some setup that will hopefully pay off later. later. Uh, Michelle Mayhew, uh, Witchy, uh, I say three chest cavity feel-ups out of five. I think my perception will be tainted so long as they continue to manipulate the audience. I don't mind cliffhangers, but this cat-and-mouse game is just cheap. It's cheapening everything else for me. Um, Ian Timms, three out of five. Not another boring speech. I really don't care for these Alexandrians. I guess they need a slower episode. I hope this isn't typical Walking Dead. Uh, Paul McEachern, uh, three of five lackluster filler with no Glenn resolution. Also, maybe Rick should have been more diligent about that pesky missing walker lurching around Alexandria. Uh, what was the strategy here? Wait until the walker attacks someone? Because if that was his thinking, it totally worked. 
Uh, Rob Cook, three walkers oozing out of the, through the wall out of five. This was the inevitable transition episode. Good to see Major Dowson staying loyal to Carol's Cookies. <laughs> That's right, Rob. Good call. That's right. Once you've had Carol's Cookies, you don't want any other cookie. Um, Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington, uh, 2.5. At least Alexander Beckenridge was on Talking Dead After out of five. Uh, that made the episode worth watching to see her after. Uh, for me, this is the weakest episode of the series so far. Wow. That's really saying something. Well, their series is a season, right? He's in England, so I guess he means... Oh, the season. The yeah, season, I guess, yeah. I guess Way right. to give someone the benefit of the doubt, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. um, Sir Ann Howard, wow, what happened? After the great episode last week, this week seems still to be weak. We really didn't learn much other than Maggie is preggers, which was already suspected, and that Tara and the Doc make a cute potential couple. Overall, though, I was highly disappointed. For poor writing, bad pacing, two out of five. Hope next week gets better. Luke Smith, something about this episode just seemed off. Writing, direction, something. I agree with you, Luke. Pretty um, sure it was craft services. Maybe. You know, if you don't get a good meal, you can't do a good job. Uh, KJ Bonhomme, uh, four, uh, four dramatic speeches out of five. Plenty of surprises and interesting character development while ramping up tensions and stakes for future episodes. Way better than last week's news fest. Wow. Wow. So we have opinions all over the board on this episode. If you would like to join in with your opinion on the episodes of Walking Dead as they happen, and again, join a really fun community um, with, a lot, like I said, a lot of good news, a lot of good discussion, some fun memes. It's it's, it's a good group to be in. It's uh, the Walking Dead TV podcast group on the Facebooks. You may have heard of it on an internet near you. <laughs> but there's one other person who had thoughts on this episode that we have not supplied yet, and that, of course, is Aaron North, who, even though he couldn't make it tonight, he sent in his thoughts. So here is what he said. Hey, Jordan, since I won't be in today, here are my thoughts on the episode, which you can read on the show starting now. Hey, guys, I am busy comparing cookie recipes between Carol and Jesse, so I'm unable to talk on the show this week. But you can know that I wouldn't have had much to add anyway. Overall, now is a fine episode, but not a real eventful one, even as far as transitional episode standards go. You can probably blame Jordan, who jinxed the show by wishing last week the streak wouldn't end. But regardless, this was merely a decent episode of the show that had a bad habit of using Alexandrians as a focal point for much of the episode, but not casting decent actors for us to care about their side. That scene in the pantry, laughable. Thankfully, Dr. Denise and Prego Maggie made for the best portions of the episode. The lack of the series' best characters this week, Carol, Daryl, Morgan, Michonne, etc., didn't help, so we were left with a couple decent subplots and a creepy Rick romance. Hopefully, next week will be more fun, regardless of whether we learn about Glenn or not. Three busters. Thank you, Aaron. I love the way Aaron writes. You know, his, his reviews are really good, too, on the young folks he puts up. Just, oh, they're, they're always great to read. Yeah, it's it's like he actually does this for a living, so <laughs> he has a way with words, and he really his reviews are good. If you haven't checked it out, he posts it on our Facebook page as well uh, at theyoungfolks.com, so definitely check out his reviews. They're really good. So that's pretty much it for this week's episode. Of course, until next time, you can send us an email, wdtv at hhwlod.com, or check out the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group on Facebook to join up with us there. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network, or follow us individually. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. Jim is at Yoda Jones. Craig is at Auto Chat Show. And Russ is at R Latham, L-A-T-H-A-M. And so until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember... This is what life looks like now. We have to see it. We have to fight it. Because if we don't, we die. Have a good week, everybody. Nice speech, Jordan.
<laughs> I was in a real speechifying mood after that episode. <laughs> and next week on The Walking Dead, of course, if you don't want to know anything about next week's episode, you can cut out now. We're going to talk about next week's episode and the, the casting news as well. Um, but if you don't mind knowing just a little bit about next week's episode, and I do mean a little bit about next week's episode, stick around. Next week on The Walking Dead, Season 6, Episode 6, the episode is entitled Always Accountable. And the exceedingly brief uh, summary we have from AMC.com is, Getting back to Alexandria proves hard. And this seems to be a Daryl, (laughs) Sasha, and Abraham-focused episode, which should be a lot of fun, because it's always good to see those three. Uh, But that's pretty much all we know about it. And it seems to be a mostly Daryl-oriented episode, but with uh, Sasha and Abraham there as well, at least for some of it. Something for the ladies. And no Glenn. <laughs> uh, that we know of. Uh, they, they were on the other side of the town, so mm. uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see him. But our casting news, we have big, big casting news for the show. And, and if you just wanted to know about the episode and you don't want to know about the casting news, now is your last warning. But the big casting news we have is for an upcoming character. I think we'll be vague, but we can say a villain uh, that you've probably heard mentioned before. Uh, the character's name is either Negan or Negan. It's one of those Michonne-type names. Well, we won't really know how it's pronounced until they show up in the show. But uh, Negan or Negan will be played. Drumroll, please. We've had a lot of different suggestions about who this could be. We've had a lot of different rumors. It's Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who is no stranger to comic book-related materials. He, of course, played the comedian in Watchmen. He was in The Losers. He was in Jonah Hex, which I think all of us pretty much forgot about. And uh, he is going to be playing uh, next year Thomas Wayne in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. He's also Papa Winchester on the long-running Supernatural TV show. And uh, he was Ghost Denny, spoilers, on Grey's Anatomy. And regular Alive Denny as well, but uh, he was also the Ghost Virgin. That was a weird plot development in that show, but anyway. It all comes back to Watchmen. Talk about somebody who who could play crazy. You know, and play oh, yeah. forceful, and play and play intimidating. They got the right guy. I think this is spot on casting. You know, I mean, we've heard a lot of different names being thrown right. around for this character, including like Wesley Snipes. I heard last week that was fake. That though, was a right? rumor, that was debunked. But, yeah, yeah, but I mean, we've heard a lot of names being thrown around, and uh, this seems pretty solid though. And uh, I think it's an excellent choice. Yeah, he, he's definitely not a name that I thought of when it came to this character, but now that he's been cast, oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I am excited because he's one of those guys who you kind of love to hate when when he goes into full scenery chewing mode. And uh, that should be a lot of fun for Negan. Because right before this, they were talking about Garrett Dillahunt got the role or he was lobbying for the role. It looks like online from Justified and Deadwood. And what's that show he had? Something about Arizona or Phoenix or whatever that was there. He was the Terminator in this era. Oh, that's right. Connor Chronicle. He's a great actor. I mean, I like him, especially especially from Deadwood. But I mean, Justified as well. I guess I could have seen him as, as as Negan, but now that I see this person, and I really wasn't too familiar with him, I did a little YouTubing and seeing of his work. He is very well suited for the Negan role. I think we're in for a treat at the end of he's this. He's probably season. a little. He's a little bit older than I would have assumed for Negan, but I think that's fine. I mean, the age of the character is not like a defining characteristic, and I guess he's not really that old either. He just has the graying side he has walls, a salt which makes him look older. Yeah, he can probably yeah. die that out and. Get the black hair but going. even if he doesn't, I mean, th- he's just such a fun actor. Playing villain, playing hero, it doesn't matter. He's just always a lot of fun to watch on screen, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited. As far as, like, uh, the, the whole, like, uh, you know, menacing, intimidating, uh, evil, I mean, like I said, look at his portrayal of the comedian in Watchmen. I mean, all those things. The same things that he's going to be portraying as Negan, you know? Yep, exactly. Yeah. I, I loved him in The Losers. Yeah, he I was mean, great I, I love The too. Losers. I, th- I think... I think the Losers is one of the most underrated comic book adaptations out there. 
Um, so if you really want a good piece of uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, check out The Losers. Yeah, and early Chris Evans stuff, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he stole that yeah, movie. Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> Chris Evans stole he was that awesome movie. movie. So uh, don't stop believing, I guess. And uh, have a good week, everybody. <laughs> Take care. Take care. So did you guys see the big uh, see the big beta news today? Yeah, yeah Jim posted I mean, it. I totally oh, was posted that was that you who posted yeah, on Facebook? Man, of, of that course. was so funny. I'm like I'm, I'm I've become like the uh, VHS and beta collector in the past couple of years just because <laughs> I'm finding like weird crazy stuff that's only on VHS. I kind of got inspired by that wheel of the worst. Mm-hmm. So like when I go to flea markets now, I just try to find like weirdest looking movies or you know whatever. I find a lot of cool stuff. Did you see Max Landis is flying up to Milwaukee to do something with them? No. Yeah, they they uh, they invited him over Twitter after they had some argument with him, and uh, he was like, "Sure, I'll do it." And so he tweeted today that he's, he flew up to Milwaukee. So hopefully he'll be on a Best of the Worst or awesome. Wheel of the Worst or something. They're both awesome. So I heard Max Landis is actually writing a Superman comic. He is. Yeah, isn't he doing like his version of Superman Lives? Yep. Or Superman? Yeah. No, it's Death Superman. Of Superman? Not like, yeah. Oh man, what's different the name parts of, it? of his life? Uh, he's doing like seven different stories from different parts of Superman's life. He he did a little YouTube rant about what it was about, you know, to kind of promote it and plug it. It's in previews this month. Uh, oh, okay. I can't remember the name of it either. It's it's Superman, like Superman something. Not human or not. What the hell? It's it's Max Landis writing Superman. I'm there now for the. Um... Jeffrey Dean Morgan news. Do yeah. we want to save that for a spoiler section at the end? Or I don't remember. It's been so long since we've like done casting stuff. I don't remember what our policy was on. Well, it's a character they haven't seen yet and they don't really know yet. So I think it would fall into spoiler territory, wouldn't it? I, would. I mean, fair I mean enough. it's not, it's something that we know from the comic, but it's not something that mm. is even talked about in the book. I, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Maybe drop a teaser in the beginning so we have some casting news, but we'll save it for the spoiler section at the end or something. You know? Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Superman American Alien. There you go. Oh, okay. On sale tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow is Comic Book Wednesday. Alrighty. Uh, this is episode number one. Oh, this is 150. Woohoo! Perfect time to have Russ back. 150. Woo. Sorry, even keeping sentences going in the same direction has been difficult because um, of my head cold. But. Uh, let's go into the sponsor. Um, does one of you want to take the sponsor? Because I will not be able to get through that in terms of keeping uh, a clear direction. I can, okay, well, just, uh, I can... you know, I'll start and you guys jump in, okay? We'll do it live. We'll okay, do it live. I'll throw it over to do you. Don't you. ever compare me to Bill O'Reilly ever again. It sucks. Or Bill McGonnell. Yeah, no. um, we'll yeah Bill McGonnell was my evil twin. And now, as a special treat, both because it's episode 150 and because my voice sounds weird and somehow sultry, a reading of one of the classics. Sonnet 147 by William Shakespeare My love is as a fever, longing still, for that which longer nurseth the disease, feeding on that which doth preserve the ill, the uncertain sickly appetite to please. My reason, the physician to my love, angry that his prescriptions are not kept, hath left me, and I desperate now approve, desire is death, 
which psychic did accept, past cure I am, now reason is past care. And frantic mad with evermore unrest, my thoughts and my discourse as madmen's are, at random from the truth vainly expressed, for I have sworn thee fair, and thought thee bright, who art as black as hell, as dark as night.